Daniel. The book of Daniel is an unbelievable book. It is just filled uh, with great, great lessons and, and a wonderful picture of God. It teaches us about God's sovereignty. It teaches, about, it teaches us about what it looks like to be faithful in a foreign land. Amen. It was written about 600 years before Christ was born. And there are many pictures in the book of Daniel that foreshadow or foretell the coming of Christ. Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 28. And we're going to travel to the end of the chapter. It is so good to see you all here today. Amen. Verse 28 says, And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and immediately... The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers. And his nails were like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stand his hand to say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let us pray. God, you are truly great. You are truly the most high God. You have been existing forever. Billions and billions and billions and trillions of years, you were not created. And you are establishing your kingdom on earth. And I pray, Father God, that as we hear your word, that your kingdom would illuminate in our hearts. I pray, Father God, not as a a humble person, as a person who is by nature humble, but as a person who is by nature prideful. 
but as a person who, because of the blood of Jesus, is being made, Father God, to look more like him. And we listen to your word today, not as people who are naturally humble, but but as people who are naturally prideful, who need, by your word, to be made to look more like your son, Jesus Christ. Please, Father God, illuminate this word in our hearts. Please, God, be glorified through the preaching of your word. I stand on no authority of my own. I have no power of my own. I stand on no merit of my own. I stand on no wisdom of my own. I beg you, Father God, to be faithful in allowing your word to not come back void as you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Amen. If you were like me on Wednesday, October the 19th, you were shocked to hear the news that 56 wild exotic animals were unleashed in Muskingum County. They were set free with the intention to cause utter chaos and fear within the community. Most of the exotic animals were hunted down by law enforcement with only a few being tamed. Perhaps the scariest beast was not the 18 rare Bengal tigers or the 17 lions that were released, but rather the owner who released them on the public. The owner, though 100% human, had the heart and mind of a beast. His pride had consumed him. Life had become all about him. He was the center of his own affection and had become a legend in his own mind. And if he wasn't satisfied and receiving the attention that he desired while living, then he would surely gain it through his death. Pride is a beast. It is the foundation of every sin. You name a sin, and it was conceived by pride. Charles Spurgeon once said that pride may be set down as the sin of human nature. So what is pride? Pride is easier recognized than it is defined. But in essence, pride consists of a person having a, a lofty view of his or herself, a high view of themselves. Pride is us desiring to be the center of attention, desiring to be praised, desiring to be famous, desiring for the world to revive, revolve around us. Paul exhorts the church in Rome in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, when he says, Do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought. Pride is one's desire to be great. Pride is one's desire to be the center of attention. Pride occurs when a, a person places their confidence in themselves, when a person looks to their accomplishments, when a person looks to their possessions or position. And, and find praise or justification in that rather than in the most high God. And if we're honest with ourselves, today 
we will be willing to admit that pride is easier recognized in others than in ourselves. Pride is the number one cause of marital strain and divorce. Talk and hear specialists say financial difficulty is the number one cause. Or say a, a lack of having the same parenting model is the number one cause of divorce. But no. The number one cause of divorce is pride. The number one cause of families being ripped apart and, and siblings going against siblings, a, a child standing up and, and going against the teachings of their parents. The number one cause of this is, is pride. Pride hinders Christians from forgiving and, and churches from fulfilling their mis mission. And this is why this passage is so important to us today. It is important that we look into our own hearts and that we ask the Lord to reveal in us, in our own hearts, the pride that we are harboring or pride that we are holding on to. It is important today that we leave this place saying, Lord, give me the grace to identify my pride, but Lord, also give me the grace to turn from my pride and to see it as the beast that it is. When I was a, a child, one day I uh, came from outside. I was in about the sixth or seventh grade, and I had just had the street uh, basketball game of my life. Uh, I was out there out on the asphalt with some of my friends, and we were out there balling and hooping, and I got the ball. It was the game point, and I shot a shot and hit the game winner. And I ran home, ran in the door, looked at my father, and I start telling him about the moment and telling him about the game when it shot. And, you know, naturally, we like to embellish things a little bit, right? So I told him my side of the story, and I had my tongue out like I was Jordan. And for about an hour, that's all I was talking about was this game when it shot and how he would have been proud and how everybody was saying my name. And, fathers, I will never, ever forget what my father did next. He looked at me. He said, son, meet me in the living room. He went into the living room. He turned on the lights. He pulled some pillows out, and he put the pillows on the ground. He grabbed a Bible and a concordance. He opened it and said, let me teach you about pride. And I remember thinking in my heart and looking at him and saying, you know, pride is a good thing. I know I've got plenty of it. <laughs> and he said, yeah, you do have plenty of it, but it's not necessarily a good thing. And he began to take me on a journey. And that journey started in the book of Proverbs. Let's go on a journey together through the book of Proverbs. And let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. The book of Proverbs is full of, of wisdom and, and practical uh, principles for everyday living. And it's full with great wisdom and great warnings against pride, against thinking more highly of ourselves than we are. So we're going to go really quick. I'm going to ask you to kind of turn from chapter to chapter. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6, and let's look at verse 17. Let's see what God really thinks and feels about pride. Verse 17 says, Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste 
to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Well, what are those things? Verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates and seven things that are an abomination to him. So the Lord lists a host of things, seven things that he just utterly despises and hates. And I want you to notice that one of those things is a halt, is haughty eyes. Haughty eyes are, are literally pri- a prideful look. When we cut our eyes at somebody because we think that we're better than them, or we think that they're stupid, the Bible says that the Lord hates them. But what I want you to notice is I want you to notice how it's grouped. I want you to notice what's next to it. Hands that shed innocent blood to the Lord is as wicked as one walking, as a person walking around thinking that he or she is better than another person. Turn to chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. It's the Lord. Turn to chapter 11, and let's look at verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. God brings his grace upon those who are proud. Chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We'll see that again. Chapter 29, verse 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain favor. So we see this theme throughout the book of the Proverbs that God hates pride. That the person who is lofty and who thinks highly of themselves, that they will be humbled, they will be brought low. And the person who is not lofty, the person who is, is humble, that they will be exalted. James chapter 4, verse 6, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, each say the same thing when they say that God opposes the proud. He resists the proud, but he gives grace. He gives favor. He shows mercy to the humble. So what does this have to do with our our text today? Well, in Daniel chapter 4, we read the words of a king. And the king's name is King Nebuchadnezzar. We'll call him King Neb for the day because we're cool like that. <laughs> and in the first three chapters of Daniel, we see King Neb. King Neb is just, he's, he's pretty arrogant. He is the most powerful man on the earth. He has been taking over countries. He has been ruining villages. He and his men, Babylon, is, is, is the center of attention on the earth. They are the world power. And God is trying to get King Nebuchadnezzar's attention in the first three chapters through the faithfulness of Daniel and three of his friends. 
who were Jews, who were Hebrews, who lived in Jerusalem and who were ripped from their country, ripped from their place of dwelling and brought to Babylon. God, through Daniel and his friends, are trying to point King Nebuchadnezzar to himself. He's trying to show King Nebuchadnezzar that he is the one who is ultimately in control and that he is the one who has set Nebuchadnezzar over this kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar, like me, is hard-headed. And after a series of lessons, he finally gets the point. Now, this is an interesting fact about the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is mostly written by Daniel. But chapter 4, verses 1 through 38, is actually written by King Nebuchadnezzar. So this is his personal testimony about how God humbled him. Let's look at the first three verses. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. This is incredible. This is the most prideful and arrogant person probably on the face of the earth right now. And he has met the living God. And God has humbled him. And in chapter 3, we see King Nebuchadnezzar calling all the nations... All the the tribes, everyone whom he can gather, he calls them to a plain called Dura, and he made an idol of gold, and he called people and caused people to worship that idol. He says, if you do not worship this idol, you will be put to death. And that idol represented him and his kingdom, and how him and his kingdom will last forever. And we see the exact opposite in the first three verses. This man who once called everyone to come and to worship his idol is now calling people together is writing a letter to them and listen to what he says. He says, listen, peace be multiplied to you. Peace be multiplied? Are you serious? In reading this, I had to just pause and stop. I said, wait a minute, is this the Apostle Paul greeting or something? He has a heart of pride, has now been humbled, and now he's speaking to his people and he's saying, peace. Let me tell you about what God has done for me. Let me tell you about his great signs. Let me tell you about his mighty works. Let me tell you about his kingdom, which is everlasting. Let me tell you about his dominion, which rules forever. Let me tell you about how he will be the God of every generation. And how did God get his attention? God got his attention through a dream. This is his second dream. And basically, in his dream... He saw a a, a tree, a a small tree, and this small tree grew to be a large tree. And we see this in verses 4 through 18. It grew to be a large tree, and its tree's branches spread it out very broadly. And it provided shade for beasts and for animals. And this tree also was fruitful. It had fruit buzzing off of it, and birds was visiting the tree. And then a holy one, an angel, came down from heaven... And and said, chop this tree down to its stump. And then after that, we see a portrayal of of a person being turned into a beast and given a beast mind for seven periods, which we interpret to mean seven years. Seven years. And what was the purpose of this dream? Verse 17. The sentence is by the decree of of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know the most high rules, the kingdom of man, and gives it to whom he will. 
and sets over it the lowliness of man. This dream, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. So God gives King Nebuchadnezzar this dream of a tree, a, a big blooming tree being chopped down to the stump. And the reason he gives him this dream is in order to show the world, to show the world that he is the only one who is deserving of glory. That he is the only one who is deserving of fame. That he is the only one who deserves to be worshipped. In verses 19 through verses 25, God sends Daniel to interpret this, king, this dream. King Nebuchadnezzar went and he got every magician, every astrologer, every person he thought that could interpret this dream. He went and he gathered them, but they could not interpret it. Why? Because the dream was from God. And the only person who can know the mind of God is the person who has the spirit of God. And God gives Daniel the grace to interpret the dream. And Daniel tells him the dream. Now let's look at verse 27. This is a great picture of God's grace. God here, through Daniel, is about to warn King Nebuchadnezzar and call King Nebuchadnezzar to repent from his pride. God warns us often. He's a gracious God. He's long-suffering and he's patient. But he warns us over and over again. And he tells us to flee from sin, to flee from living from ourselves, and to run to righteousness, to run to Christ in order that we would have true life. Listen to what Daniel says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Goes to him with humility. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel says, repent. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop living for yourself. Stop trying to be the center of the nations and the center of attention. Break it off. That's what repentance is. It's breaking off behaviors that we know are against God. And it's replacing those behaviors with things that please God. It's breaking off not being merciful. And it's putting on a heart of mercy and a heart of compassion, King Nebuchadnezzar. And how does this king respond? Verse 28. And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of a royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of his majesty? One year later, King Neb is in his palace. And he probably walks out the doors of his palace. He's walking around the doors of his palace. And I can just imagine him looking over his palace, looking over his kingdom. And he thinks and he says, he says, listen, did I not build this? Look at what I have done. Look at me. I'm a self-made man. Look at me. I, I live life my way. You know, you can just imagine that Frank Sinatra song kind of going in the back. I did it my way. I mean, his heart is just, boom. His pride is on display. And how does the Lord respond? He responds by humbling. He responds by driving him out of his palace, 
by making him live like a beast of the field. Gives him a, a mental illness and he allows him to be incapable of even making decisions that would affect his kingdom. Why? Because God hates when man tries to live as if they're God and as if they're their own God. The hanging gardens of Babylon was, a, was some beautiful gardens that King Nebuchadnezzar had built for his wife. And people from everywhere would come just to see these gardens. His pride in his heart as he looked over and he probably looked out his palace and looked at these gardens and probably thought to himself, look at the way I provide for my family. Look at what I did for my wife. Look at the way I clothed my children. I'm a great parent. I'm great. And this was pride. It's easy to look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, look how prideful he was. Look how arrogant he was. Look how stuck up he was. That's right. God deserved to humble him. But in looking at this passage, I had to look at my own heart and recognize that pride is not just one walking through their house, beating their chest with their A-tank uh, t-shirt on and thinking that they're the man. Uh, pride shows up in a variety of ways. There are many evidences. There are many manifestations of pride. And this great God that we serve, he is calling us today to flee from our pride. So let's look at some evidences and some manifestations of pride. Let's look at some, some different ways that pride shows up in our hearts and shows up in our lives. Number one, a possible evidence of pride, and these are going to be some things that's put up here that, that, that's going to prick our hearts, that pricked my heart. God is going to expose in our own hearts some evidences of pride. May we think about these things. But even as we think about these things, may we... Think about the grace of God and how God is exposing these things, not to harm us, not to kill us, but to make us more affectionate towards him and to see how great he is. One first evidence of, of manifestation of pride is, is complaining against or passing judgment on God. Complaining against or passing judgment on God. When a person complains against God and passes judgment against God, that reveals or that shows that they have a, a high and a lofty view of themselves. And this often happens and occurs when a person is suffering, when a person is going through some great difficulty. In Numbers chapter 14, we see God has called out a congregation from Egypt. He has called out a people for himself. They have been delivered from slavery, and he has them in the wilderness and the Bible says that they were hungry. They wanted some, some salad. They wanted some, some food that they were used to. And they began to complain against the Lord. They put God on trial. And they said, why is the Lord bringing us into a land to fall by the sword? Pretty much, why is he allowing us to die out in the wilderness? In verse 11, listen to what the Lord said to Moses. How long will this people despise me? And how long would they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? These people question God. Now, questioning God in itself is not evil. When we're going through things, it's not evil for us to say, Lord, help me to understand why this is happening and help me to understand uh, this in order that I may please you. 
But questioning God and putting God on trial as if you know better than God and as if God is evil, is sinful. Saying, God, why have you done this? I deserve better than this. God, why have you done this? I know why you've done this. You've done this because you're not just. You've done this because you're not loving. You love everyone but me. That's wrong. Paul sheds light in Romans chapter 9, verse 20. He says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? We are a a clay, a, a lump of clay. God is the ultimate potter. God knows exactly what he's doing in our lives. And even through our difficulties, even through our struggles and our pains and our headaches and our trials and our tribulations, if we are his, we can rest assured that how the way that he is acting is a way that is going to most glorify him and that is going to be for our ultimate good. But a prideful person does not look at the, that. They, they put God on trial. Our memory verse of the month is so beautiful. It says how unscrutable are his ways. The depth, oh, the depths and the riches of God's wisdom. When you suffer, when you go through your trials, when you go through tribulations, do you pump your fist at God as if he's your child? Or your spouse. And treat them as if you deserve better. As Christians, it's important that we remind ourselves that we have already been given ten times more than we ever deserve in Christ. That we were headed to a place called hell because of our rebellion against a holy and a righteous God. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That we had hatred towards this God. That we wanted to be our own king. But God made us alive in Christ. And he gave us treasures that go beyond this world. Treasures that are being protected in heaven. He gave us an eternal hope. Second manifestation of pride is an inflated view of one's gifts. An inflated view of one's gifts or talents. An inflated view of one's gifts or talents. So, like Nebuchadnezzar, we may not be like Nebuchadnezzar, walking around in our house saying, look at me, look what I've done, but having an inflated view of, my, of a gift or a talent that God has given me is also an evidence of pride. Trying to draw attention to a talent that I have in order that people would love me more, treasure me more, trying to draw attention to a gift that I have in order that people would praise me, in order that I would be the center of attention, is sinful. And why is it sinful? It's, it's, it's sinful because God is the one who ultimately gave us that gift. And he gave us that gift not in order that we would be praised, not in order that we would be famous, but he gave us that gift in order that we would make him famous. Paul says this to a, a very prideful and conceited church, uh, the church at Corinth. He says this, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? 
says, if you received your talent, if you received your voice to sing to the Lord, if you received a a great rhythm in order to dance before the Lord in worship, if you received a a great understanding of scripture and and a wonderful way to teach, if you received a wonderful gift to serve and to smile and to make people feel encouraged and welcome, who are you to be lifted up as a result of that gift? Who am I? God did not choose us because he saw something good in us. He did not save us because he just thought, man, I've really, really got to have her on my team. The way she cooks, oh my goodness, I've got to bring her to a church in order that, that people will love me more. No, he said, no, she really needs me. She is really lost. And I have given her a gift, a gift of hospitality and a gift of service in order that people would see this service and re- be reminded of the way Christ served and serves us daily. An inflated view of one's gifts and one's talents and One, having an attitude that complains against God and casts this judgment on God, it has everything to do with how we live and how we love. It has everything to do with what, how how our home situation looks. Number three, a manifestation of pride is consistent behavioral changes. Consistent behavioral changes. Uh, If a person is constantly moody, it is an evidence of pride. And we all have met those people, and, and some of us in here, we're, we probably would describe ourselves as that. A person who goes up and down emotionally. One second you're talking to them, and they're just smiling, they're with you, and the next second they're giving you a cold shoulder. You know why I'm mad. Don't act like you don't know. A person who, a, a husband who gives his wife the silent treatment until she figures out what exactly he wants. Or a wife who thinks that she's cursing her husband by giving the silent treatment. See, there's a difference. Wives really get upset when husbands are silent. Wives, here's a tip. Husbands don't necessarily get upset when they get the silent treatment. (laughs) So you might want to think of a way to punish him other than the silent treatment. Right? You might want to think of another way to sin against your husband. Amen. (laughs) Woo, it's awfully quiet in here. Man. (laughs) Sweetie, what's wrong? We'll talk about it later. Amen. All right? So so moodiness can be be an evidence of of pride. Why? Because normally when a person is going up and down and we've got to figure out a person and when they're giving cold shoulders, uh, it just shows that they, they really desire uh, an unhealthy uh, respect. They desire probably to be waited on. They desire this person to do exactly what they want to do. They want to be in control. And, and when they don't get what they want to do, they want you to feel their wrath. And I'm so glad that God is not that way. <laughs> Anger. Anger can be an evidence of pride going off and having a temper tangerine and going off and telling somebody off, that's an evidence of pride. That's, a, that's an attitude that said, who do you think that you are talking to me like that or doing this to me? It's a high view of oneself. And it doesn't minister to, to the people around you. 
Remember, God has saved us. God has called us in order and, and set us apart in order that we would handle things differently than the world handles them. In order that our lives would look different. Husband, he has called you in order that when you are upset and when you are angry, that you would handle it in a way that, that glorifies Christ. David said, when I'm angry or when I'm upset, I will meditate on the word of God on my bed. I will think about God's goodness towards me. And I, I will humble myself. I will make myself low. And I will open my mouth and I will tell my wife, this is what's bothering me. And if she doesn't listen, I will love her. And I will pray for her. And I will seek counsel for us and until we are reconciled or until God is glorified. Yeah, we're laughing, but it's true. Our marriages are failing just as bad as the world's marriages, some reports show. And the reason why is because we are going about our lives in the same manner that they are. God's spirit gives us the power to love and to live radically different than the world. We have God's Holy Spirit on the inside of us, not only convicting of us of our sin, but drawing us towards change. And when we humble ourselves, we'll be surprised at what God can do. What God can do in the heart of our spouse and what God can do in the heart of our, our own self. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So your anger, that's a natural emotion. He says, do not sin though. The way we don't sin is by walking in the spirit. Number four, self-pity is an evidence of pride. Self-pity. We're going to pick it up a little bit. Self-pity is an evidence of pride. And that may be surprising, right? Self-pity is to throw a, a pity patty party and to have an attitude that says, woe is me. And how is that an evidence of pride? Because the person who is, is walking in self-pity or the person who has a woe is me attitude is, is a person who is normally using that to get, other, get attention from everybody else. And we all know people like that, the woe is me person, right? Oh, man, it is beautiful outside today. It sure is nice today. Yeah, but tomorrow's going to rain. <laughs> Tomorrow's going to rain. Or a person who is constantly seeking for a compliment, looking for a compliment, reeling you in for a compliment by, by, by putting themselves down. Oh, I know, I'm just a horrible, I'm just so horrible, aren't I? No, you're wonderful. Oh, this dress, this doesn't really fit, does it? No, it looks beautiful. Oh, thank you, thank you. I, I tried. Man, I got caught again. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 through 16, and verse 18 says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That, uh, that would not make it any less a part of the body. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he has chose. Listen, God is saying, be content with the gifts that you have. Be content with where God has you. Because you are just as treasured as, as everyone else. You are just as loved by Christ as everyone else. You may not be the foot, you may be the hand, but you have a part and a purpose. God has saved you for a reason. 
You are no less significant than a person who preaches every week in the body of Christ. God loves you. And he has made you to be a part of his body, a part of this local congregation. Lift up your head and stop looking at what you do not have and rejoice at what you do have. And pray to God that God will reveal to you exactly how you are to be used among his people. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful quote. He says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. A a person who walks in self-pity is a person who is consumed with themselves. Their world is turning around themselves and they're thinking about themselves. But when we begin to take our eyes and our focus off of ourselves and put our eyes on Christ, on his provision, on the fact that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places... Another manifestation of pride is perfectionism. Perfectionism. Being obsessed with having everything work out the way that you want it to work out. And when someone doesn't do what you want them to do the way that you want them to do it, you're going to make sure they know about it. I don't know why I let you wash the dishes. You know the glass cups go in the left cupboard. And I want you to turn it. Turn it where the line is right here. I guess I got to do everything myself. Right? That is, that is a heart of, of pride. That is a heart saying that things have to work my way. The things have to be done my way. That if you don't meet my standard, you're failing to me. And the reverse of that is perfectionism when God calls us and he allows us to do something. It's being, uh, 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 having, getting depressed when things doesn't work out the way we think that it should. You know, once I was, uh, we went on a mission trip to, to Costa Rica. Uh, this was uh, not with Forest Baptist Church, but I went with another group. And we had planned this outreach event in the park. And we had just planned it to a T, and we was proud of, of, of what was going to happen. We just knew that it was going to be blessed, and it was going to minister to people. The only thing we needed God to do is, is for him to hold back the rain. We said, Lord, if you just hold back the rain, this is going to go perfect. This is going to minister to people. And God did the exact opposite. He allowed it to rain. He allowed it to rain, and it rained, and it poured, and it was, it was messy, and it was wet. But you know what? That did not keep people from coming out to the park and worshiping. People cared less in Costa Rica about the rain. They made the proper modifications. They were out worshiping God. They had, uh, water was up to their legs, and we were just out there worshiping. We're looking like, yeah, okay. But they were more ministered to the fact that we did not counsel, the fact that we still met, and the fact that we went through with the plan than they would have been ministered to if it had not rained. God is sovereign. And when we are doing his work, when we are serving him, we need to let it go and say, Lord, this is yours. All right, next evidence of pride. It's too much talking. Dominating a conversation. Dominating a conversation. Wanting to be the center of attention in a conversation. And we all have, now, now let me put a disclaimer first of all. 
The Lord has blessed many of us with a gift of gab. And when I say gift of gab, I really do a gift of gab, meaning that uh, some people do have a special gift, and they can come in a room and lighten up a room and make people have fun and put the attention to everyone. And, and, and they're, you know, that's a gift. That is a gift. God has made us all different. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. And that's a good thing. If you have a gift of gab, that is great. Um, I continue to use that gift. But I do want to warn the person who likes to dominate a conversation to make sure that your motive is not to be the center of attention. And, to, and it is not because you think that you know more than everybody else. You know, recently I was talking to a guy and uh, he stopped me and I, I didn't know him, but he had, had recognized me and, and someone else had told him, uh, told him a little bit about me. He came to me and he said, hey, are you Jamal? I said, yeah, and he began to talk. And uh, he talked for about 20 minutes. And it was kind of like double dutch. I know, guys, you never played double dutch. You know, I don't either, but this is for the women. You know how you're just kind of waiting to get in and jump in? And uh, the whole time, I'm just kind of waiting to say a word. And, man, he is just dominating in and out. I mean, I knew his whole life story, knew his future, knew his fears. I knew everything about this guy. And then at the end, right when I'm thinking he stopped because I'm about to have an opportunity to say something, he says, man, you know what? It was great talking to you. This was a good conversation. And he said, I'll talk to you later. And I thought to myself, why? <laughs> but you know, there could have been some pride in my heart wanting to be able to say something about myself. So we just have to be careful to make sure that we're not talking too much. Now, women, you naturally talk more than men. Amen. Studies have shown that women use almost twice as many words as men in a day. Uh, so, you know. Keep talking, just make sure that you're being thoughtful. Amen. <laughs> Proverbs 10 and 19 says, When words are many, transgressions is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. God gave us two ears and one mouth. James tells us to be twice as quick to listen as to speak. And isn't it something that our tongue, that our mouth, that it is behind bars? <laughs> Next, seeking control or independence. All oh, my single ladies. All oh, my single ladies. All right. Y'all so silly, amen. Uh, the person who desires to, to be independent and who gives off an air that they don't need anything from anyone and that they can take care of everything themselves and that they don't need anyone is a person whose heart maybe is lifted up in pride. We are the body of Christ. We need each other. I need you. You need me. And God has created us to be in a community. The person who says, well, I just come to church. I get what I get, and I go home. I don't, I don't need to know everybody. I'm not about that. It is missing a, a valuable point. That God created you, and he saved you in order that you would not just be served, but in order that you would serve others. Likewise, the person who needs to be the center of attention and the person who needs to control everything. The grandparent who needs to control everything. Who needs to know everything that's going on in their uh, child's marriage. Everything that, that's going on in their grandkid's life. Huh? We have to remind ourselves that we are not in control, that God is in control. 
that he is the only one who deserves the right to control things. Number eight, being unteachable and devastated when someone criticizes you. Once you go home and read Proverbs 10 and 17, having an unteachable heart, a heart that does not want to receive instruction, it ultimately manifests itself by being upset when someone tries to give you correction. You want to be the authority figure. You want to be the expert. Number nine, the lack of serving others. The lack of serving others is an evidence of pride. You know, Christ said, I, I came not to serve, not to be served, but to what? to serve. The mark of a Christian is the way that we love other people and the way that we serve other people. And as Christians who are in, a, in the body of Christ, we want to be careful to make sure that we are not allowing consumerism and this attitude of America to become our attitude even when we come to the house of God. You know, every day we are bombarded with different choices. What deodorant am I going to buy? What shirt do I want to wear? What car do I want to buy? And we have all these choices and all these different things, and, and we pick according to what best serves us and what best meets our needs. And so often we come in community with other believers with that same attitude. We come to church and saying, well, if this church doesn't have this, 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 that, and another, and if they don't let me do this, 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 that, and another, then I'll just go somewhere else. God has put you a part of this body, not so that the church will resolve around you and meet your needs, but he also has saved you and separated you in order that you would give your gifts to the Lord and serve others. So what are some ways that we can serve others and get the attention off of ourselves? We have many ministries here at the church. We have a food bank where you can volunteer and serve others and so many other things. Next is sarcasm. Being sarcastic is an evidence of pride. Being sarcastic is an evidence of pride. Sarcasm is... Uh, <laughs> it's a gift and a curse, isn't it? <laughs> uh, saying things that are true in a joking manner toward someone uh, that you wouldn't say without smiling is wrong. <laughs> now, we all are going to be naturally sarcastic in some way, but a person who is just overly sarcastic, and that is a part of the way they communicate regularly, you know, making little cuts out, oh, you're finally taking off the trash, are you? I just knew you would. Right? Oh, you finally got that car fixed, didn't you? Well, now we won't be able to tell if it's you pulling up or not. And you're kind of thinking like, yeah, I did. I did. And the way sarcasm works, let's be honest, the way it works is many times after it's said, we laugh. But when we're home alone and when we're by ourselves, we think about that, don't we? Hey, man, they kind of call me chubby. This person kind of, right? The Bible teaches us to speak honestly. Paul tells us that our words should edify and encourage other people. And, and people hide behind sarcasm many times because they don't want to confront a person on their sin or on something that that's bothering them. 
The proverb says, Proverbs 12 and 18 says, There is one whose words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's a little sword thrust when you're walking around a house with your spouse, making little jokes and laughing about it. Finally, and we have many others, we'll, we'll just go with a lack of apologizing or repenting as a sign of pride. The lack of apologizing and or repenting. You know, when we know that we did something wrong, so we go to a person apologizing to them, and you say, you know what, my bad last night for uh, being so unloving. But you know, you have a way to get under my skin. That is not an apology or a repentance. That is a heart that is manifesting pride. That is a heart that is saying, I know I'm wrong, but I have a right to be wrong because you're wrong. And even as we, we lightheartedly talk about it, we have to understand that these things are, are killing some of our marriages. These things are killing some of our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. These things are killing the way that we relate to people at our job and the way that we love one another. These things are, are not loving. And, and, and many of these things are done because we want to be glorified. Because we want to be right. Because we want to be the center of attention. The Bible says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are broken. Blessed are those who mourn over, those sin, over our sins. When we do someone wrong, we need to go to that person, not tell Noob Noob, Bebe, and Jojo to tell her. We need to go to them, look them in the eye, sit them down, and say, what I did against you, I am sorry. I apologize. I repent. And I am going to do my best not to offend you in that way. And I pray that you will forgive me. There's a good book called From Pride to Humility, to Humility that's written by Stuart Scott. I want to encourage you all to go and to get that book. It has a list of other things that, that are manifestations of pride. It is a wonderful small book. It's very inexpensive. From Pride to Humility by Stuart Scott. So how does God answer pride for King Nebuchadnezzar? What does he do? He afflicts him. He afflicts him. He brings him low. He brings him to his knees. Psalm 119, verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. But now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. God has a way of humbling us in order to allow us to see our sin, in order to allow us to see our pride, in order to run us to his word. Perhaps God is afflicting you here today. All affliction, of course, isn't God trying to get, get necessarily do that because we did something bad. But perhaps today you know that you are under God's hand of judgment and you don't feel an intimacy with God and you're not receiving anything when you read his word because you know that you are picking and choosing parts of the Bible to obey. You say, well, Lord, I'll come to service and I'll worship you and I'll sing for you and I'll serve others, but I will not submit to my husband. Oh, Lord, I'll be busy for you. I'll do this or I'll do this, but I will not love my wife as Christ loves the church until she does exactly what I say. Be aware and know 
that that is affecting your intimacy with the Lord. That God takes that just as serious as he took King Nebuchadnezzar and his pride. So how should we respond to God when he reveals pride into our hearts? Number one, if you do not know Jesus, you must know God. You must recognize that God is great and greatly to be praised. That God is the only person who deserves adoration and praise. Second, you must recognize that you were created with a heart that wants to be praised. That you were born and shaped by sin. That you were born with an inclination to be disobedient towards God. That your heart was born evil. Third, you must recognize that the only way to heal yourself from that heart of evil, from that heart of pride, is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. That Jesus sent a remedy. That Jesus was, that God sent a remedy in his son and his name is Jesus. And that Jesus is the only person who never walked in pride. That Jesus is the only person who never gave a haughty look or walked in arrogance. That Jesus, God himself, came into the world in order to bear your sin. In order to bear the punishment that you deserve because of your pride. Jesus Christ, the God-man, lived a perfect life and he died a death that you and I deserve in order that we would not be punished for our prideful moments. And that in Jesus, life is found. And that in Jesus, we will learn to be humble and to surrender ourselves to the Lord. That Jesus then accepts us and adopts us as his children. And he sits with us daily and says, let me take you on a journey to show you what humility looks like. That one day Jesus is coming back. And he's going to heal our hearts from all pride. And deliver us from ourselves. And I can't wait to that day. A couple of quick things that you can do to cultivate humility in your life. To cultivate humility in your life. This is things that you can do every day to make sure that it's not showing up in your heart. Number one, remind yourself daily that life is not about you. Remind yourself daily that life is not about you. Genesis chapter 1 does not have your name mentioned over 30 times. God's name is mentioned over 30 times. It's not about you. It's not about me. Psalm 1 and 15 to 1. Not unto us, not unto us, but unto your name give glory. And we can remind ourselves that life is not about us by serving others and by celebrating others. By celebrating others. When someone is telling you something that's good that's happened to them, don't try to think of something good that happened to you in order that you can trump what's good that happened to you. Celebrate. And that's how you know a true friend as well. Anybody can suffer with you. Anyone who can come along with you when you have a loss or you lose something say, I'm sorry for you. But it takes someone who truly loves you to celebrate with you when things go right and not try to make themselves the center of attention. Remember, God will not share his glory with another. It's not like God and little God. That's not how it works. Number two, regularly ask those who are are close to you to identify manifestations of pride. Regularly ask your wife. Regularly ask your husband. Sweetie, do you see pride in my life? And be ready to take their critique. Don't say, well, you do the same thing. 
Wait at least a day. Husbands, are you easy to talk to? Wives, do you welcome healthy critique? Wives, do you respect your husband by not cutting him off when he has something to say? <laughs> well, I know what he's going to say. Number three, we cultivate humility and we reject pride when we compare ourselves to Christ and his example and not others. It is easy to be prideful when we compare ourselves to people that are around us that we choose to point out. You know, we never compare ourselves to people that we know that's doing better than us. We always compare ourselves to people who we think that we're doing better than. But if we keep our eyes on Christ and remember that he and he alone is perfect, and sinless, then we'll be humbled. And as we look to his perfection, may we not be uh, driven to despair where we be reminded that his perfection is credited to us, that we are credited as righteousness in the eyes of God. And may we be humbled by that, knowing that we don't deserve it. compare ourselves to Christ, we will be reminded that Christ picked up a cross for us, and he died, and he commanded us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. Pride is not a month-by-month battle. It is not a day-by-day battle. It is not an hour-by-hour battle. It is a second-by-second battle. Jeremiah 9, 23, we close with these words. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let our boast be in the cross of Jesus. Let our boast be in the fact that God has made himself known to us, and he has not made himself known to us by any merit of our own, but he has made himself known to us despite and in spite of ourselves. So even as we boast in him, we don't boast in him to gloat about it. We boast in him with humility saying, I don't deserve the salvation that I have received. But God, being rich in mercy, he has saved me and given me a salvation that I can never earn. A salvation that I do not deserve. And out of this salvation, I worship. Out of this salvation, I serve. Out of this salvation, I come to him daily with empty hands and with a heart that says, Lord, teach me to be humble. Lord, teach me to love those who are unlovable. Lord, teach me to live sacrificially. Lord, teach me to love my kids and love my spouse. Lord, teach me to be yours. Help me not to walk around and think that the world revolves around me, but give me a heart that says, Lord, I want the world to revolve around you, and I will not stop 
boasting about you until every nation, every tongue, and every tribe confesses that you are Lord. I will not stop boasting about you until my co-workers know you, until my lost family members know you, until people look at me and say, this person once was pitiful, but now they are powerful. And that power is not found in themselves, but that power is found in the God who saves. Let us pray. Lord, help these things to be born in our hearts. Help us to treasure you more than we do ourselves, more than we do our reputation, more than we do respect, more than we do want to be seen as the smartest person in the room or the most liveliest person. Help us, Father God, to be consumed with you and your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.